Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 176 of the Intercooler Podcast with me, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. Uh, this week we, we were supposed to be focusing on high-performance estate cars and we do come on to those a little bit later on doing this now because Andrew has been driving the new Audi RS6 Performance. Um, but we sort of got sidetracked a little bit by... First Formula One and then the Munich Motor Show. So we do 10 or 15 minutes on F1 and Max Verstappen's extraordinary dominance this year. And then some of the highlights from the Munich Motor Show. There's some interesting stuff that's been revealed over the last few days. And then we do get onto performance estate cars. Um, I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, please, to rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it. And also just hit the follow button or the subscribe button. It means you don't miss a single episode. And it also helps us out enormously as well. So please do that. Enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening. Ten Grand Prix wins in a row for Max Verstappen. That means he beats Sebastian Vettel's record of nine wins in a row. Bloody hell, that is some achievement, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, I was a bit put out by Lewis saying what he did about, oh, well, you know, it's kind of easy for him because he's never had any difficult, you know, any tough teammates. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, Sainz was one of his teammates. Yeah, yeah. Danny Rick, back in the day when Danny Rick was, was one of his teammates. Okay, but Max hasn't been in the business as long as Lewis has. And, and yeah, I think Lewis has had like three world champions as teammates. But I just thought, fair play to, uh, you know, to, to Max. Um, he's got the best car. He's much better than his teammate. So he wins all the races. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was like inelegant. And, and 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 smacked of sour grapes, and you know Lewis not wanting his record. Um, no, it wasn't Lewis's record to begin with, was it? It was Seb's. But no, yeah, I just yeah. didn't think it was it was particularly becoming to go and have a little a, a little bit of a pop like that. Yeah, ten Grand Prix straight. 
is that it's extraordinary because that means that you have won on every single type of circuit in every single kind of condition um and i guess that what must be really worrying is a man appears at the moment he appears like lewis was you remember when lewis went through that season must have been about four years ago three years ago i i think we were doing this podcast so maybe it wasn't quite, but we i can remember saying to you he did not make a single mistake yeah. for the entire season he yeah. didn't he, he operated at that level he didn't for spin a car he didn't yeah. muff a quali session he didn't hit anybody else um and we, we saw it at Monza. Lewis made a mistake, and he quite rightly went and apologised for it and and uh, and everything else. But I think Max is at, there at the moment. I think he is he is at such a level. He is at an. He, I think he is certainly as good now as Lewis was then. Um, and then you know you put him in a Red Bull that's functioning like that, and you know <laughs> it's actually not that surprising, is it? I guess it's. I guess there's a bit of luck in there because he hasn't tripped over anybody else. Um, you know, he hasn't had any reliability issues um, worthy of the mention. So there, there is clearly an element of luck in there. Um, but even so, absolutely extraordinary. And I know there will be many more uh, Lewis fans listening to this than Max fans because, you know, this is a podcast which gets listened to predominantly in the in the UK. But I don't think that whatever you think of Max... Um, and I probably think more of him than most. I don't think that anyone can just diminish that achievement. It's astonishing. Mm. I do agree. I, yeah, it is. A, it is an extraordinary achievement. And you know, certain races, particularly last time out at his home Grand Prix, Zandvoort. I mean, the conditions were horrible, and it would be so easy to trip over yourself in those conditions. Several did. Max didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. This point about mistakes. It's no. Coincidence, really, is it that a driver, Lewis has done it, Michael did it, Max is doing it at the moment, driver and car just working together beautifully. And that's when you will see fewer mistakes because they're not having to ch- take chances exactly. or drive right on, on the, the ragged yeah. edge. And also, yeah. they're not in traffic all the time. Exactly. They're out there, you know, apart from when they come to lap people at the end of the race. All the sorts of things, exactly what you're saying, you know, they don't, you know, I mean, Max, once he once he got past signs, um, he just disappeared, and then he just backed off and cruised and collected. And yeah, so you, then everything comes to you. You know, you, you're not fighting everybody else. You're not on the limit. Um, you're not stressing the machine. Um, so you're likely to make, less likely to make a mistake. Um, you're less likely to come across somebody else who's going to make a mistake. You're less likely to um, for your for your machine to make a mistake. So. Everything comes to you, doesn't it? Mm, it does. Um, the frustration with all of this is that there isn't a contest, really, to win the race. We know that, yes, there's a prime example. If Max gets past the leader, in this case it was science, wasn't it? We know he's just going to disappear into the distance. Because he's, he's not being challenged by the other car, the other Red Bull. Yeah. Um, and I would... It's fine. Dominance from one team is fine when there is at least an intra-team battle going on. Think of the Hamilton-Rosberg years when they were really good. Yeah. Um, even way back Pro- to... Senna and Prost. 88, yeah, in the McLaren MP44 year. At least you had two fairly equal drivers World going drivers. at it. That's right. World champion drivers, would, yeah. Yeah, and I would love to see 
um, a se- in the second Red Bull, a world class driver, one of the top tier. Yeah, you know that's an Alonso, a Lewis, maybe a Charles. Um, I'd like to see a young. I'd like to see a young gun. I'd like. To, I'd like to see someone. You know, some Oscar. Twi- yeah, someone like, or even a Lando, or someone like that, who really, who's yeah. really, really up for the fight. I think it would make Max even better. You know, the thing, mm. the, the, <laughs> one of the extraordinary things about Max is he's that good despite not being pushed. And we always, yeah, you know, it, it is human nature to get better at things um, when you're pushed. Mm. You know, yeah, that's true. But we, it's not going to happen. We do think Perez is going to be in the second car next year. And actually, it's the right call from their point of view because he's he's not putting Max under too much stress or really no, but much I, at all. I don't know. I mean, look at look at Monza. So he he couldn't even out qualify the Ferraris there. And yeah. you know, and and for a bit, okay, it came to nothing because you know Max has such an advantage. But with the Ferraris both there, you know, sandwiching Max, um, they were in a position to cause him significant problems. And Perez wasn't there to help. That's why you need, but that's why you need a sort of a Bottas type figure, someone who is, you know, who is, you know, quick enough to kind of be there. But then again, you know, but the problem was Bottas, as he always just went off during the course of the race, didn't he? But um, you need a you need a proper number two. But if you're good enough to be that close to Max, the problem is you're not going to want to be a number two. You'd probably be a rather, rather be a number one somewhere else, or you probably actually fancy having a pop at Max. So it's a very very difficult situation to to arrange and um yeah but you're right you're absolutely right um I, I think i think while the red bull is as dominant as it is having a slightly more compliant number two in that team makes sense but what i will say is next year if goodness me if finally mercedes build a proper car if finally ferrari build a really quick consistent car and operate that team the way it needs to be operated um, might Red Bull be found wanting in the second driver department? Might might having, um, with all due respect to Perez, as a fantastic driver, but he's not a tier one, not for me. No, and and both those teams you mentioned have got better overall driver lineups. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. So for now, it works for them, but maybe not next year. I, I don't know. I, I just I, I think th- that th- I, I I yeah I wonder. I I think that that. The secret to winning a motor race is to win anything, any race as slowly as you possibly can. Um, and you know, Max hasn't been pushed. And because Max hasn't been pushed, we haven't seen how fast Max can go. Um, yeah, we've, we've seen it in quality, um, but race, as we know, is a completely different thing. And he never looks on the ragged edge in a race, does he? No, no, not in the races, no. No, so we don't, we, we don't even know how fast Max can make that car go. Um, and, yeah, and, that, and, that is my concern. And, and, my, and my concern, yeah, is that they have such a margin. Same people are designing next year's car. There's no real reason to think that it's going to be much different. And the year mm. after that, yeah. I think it's going to take... 26 is interesting, isn't it? Is, is it the big rule change in 26, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. then not only is there a big rule change, but then they've got another powertrain. They've got their own powertrain um, with Ford helping them out with it. And that is a big shake of the dice i presume that um perez won't still be there then maybe he will doubt it that's the real opportunity and i wonder whether the teams aren't just thinking well we just need to do our very very best but actually at the back of the minds thinking yeah you know, focus on them it's, yeah. it's going to be a struggle until then um and uh, 26 i mean how old will lewis be in 2026 42 
yeah, yeah. 41. So, and he's only got a contract to the end of 25, exactly. hasn't he? So, exactly. Wednesday's still going to be so, there. So, so, so everything is, you know, and if Ferrari go through, I mean, I know that Charles come out and said some very supportive things of Ferrari, but if they go through another, you know, two, you know, if their drought continues, um, which I think is now the longest championship-less period that the Scuderia's ever had, I think. Yeah, amazing. It's coming uh, up to it, I think. Yeah, yeah it's coming up to it. Um, so if that continues and gets past that mark, is Charles really going to hang around? Um, so 26 is, to me is the interesting year, and I, would be, I wouldn't be amazed, but I would be surprised if anybody... I, I, I'm sure that they'll do better. I'm sure that the, the Red Bull winning streak will come to an end. But do I think that over a course of whatever it is, a 23, 24 race season, one other team is going to be able to mount a sufficient challenge against them for, for Red Bull not to win the championship? I, I would be surprised in the next two years, but we'll see. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that Red Bull is going to continue to be the fastest car out there until the rules yeah, and, change. And, and also, don't listen to me, because I'm the bloke who came on this podcast quite a long time ago and said that Red Bull aren't going to win every race this season, because you just can't. Well, <laughs> we'll see. Well, but problem, it's looking that way. The isn't problem it? is with every passing race, the chance of me being proven wrong yet again, um, you know, increase more. So yeah, mm, we'll see. So the, the the one point I wanted to make on Max winning ten in a row is so we saw Vettel do it again in a Red Bull, but that was in 2013. It was the end of 2013. He won the final nine races, and the thing is, we knew there was a that was the end of a rule cycle. We knew there were new rules coming for 2014. And the rumour was that the Mercedes power unit was going to be the one to have, that uh, maybe the Renault one, which Red Bull had at that time, wasn't going to be fantastic. Um, So the sort of end was in sight, wasn't it? But for now, we've got stable rules for the next two seasons. Yeah, Max and that car is far and away the quickest combination at the moment. It looks likely to be for a while. They could just go on and on and on. Something will happen eventually. Someone will take him out or he maybe he'll make a mistake who knows but so i don't think he's going to win every race over the next couple of years of course not but he could just keep on winning you know the vast majority of them and rattle off all sorts of records uh it's going to take a hell of an effort from somebody else so to stop that happening so, so so what happens you know just thinking of that commercially at the moment you know the you know the producers of drive to survive must be you know, they must have their heads in their hands at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Make this, dramatic. you know, t- turn this into something which, um, and 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 again, um, you know, you got Lewis sort of saying, "Oh, it's not healthy for, you know, one team to have a period of such utter domination," which is a bit rich coming from, um, you know, from the. <laughs> I think bloke. he did acknowledge that, but yeah. yeah. Um, should the organisers step in and go, look, guys, you guys are incredible. This is, you know, the most amazing, you know, team, car, driver combination that there's ever been. But there's a greater good here. You know, we're all here to put on a show. We're all here because, you know, unless the fans come, unless people buy their Sky subscriptions, unless people, you know, subscribe to Netflix and watch Drive to Vibe, we're all out of a job. So... This is what we're going to do. Should Red Bull's wings be clipped in the interest? You know, should they basically have their success penalised? Mm. Well, 
there is a part of me that would like to see it happen because I just want to see proper racing at the fr- very front of the pack again. I want to see I mean, variety on the top step of that podium. But it's a sport and you shouldn't meddle like that, in my view. I completely agree. And also, you know, I think we're in the it's a slightly unedifying position, but actually it kind of works for me because, you know, if you just take the view that Max has gone, you know, just imagine there are two races and one race has got Max in it, yeah? I mean, the Italian Grand Prix, forget Max, was absolutely unbelievable. It was 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 one of the most fantastic races. And if you want to see race car drivers if you want to just see you know if, if you're not that interested in watching cars crash and i hope you're not but if you just want to see skill when the speeds are so high when the downforce levels are so low um you know watching that battle between perez and science and then between leclerc and science uh, it was just amazing and also further down the field you know alex albon i mean was given what he's in i think he is driving out of his skin at the moment and there was so much unbelievable skill you know when they you know when the cars would come out of the first chicanes and they'd be side by side and be going through the first through the curva grande yeah absolutely flat out you know 170 miles an hour or whatever they're doing and they are but they're probably not inches they're millimeters away from each other and they know there's a corner coming up and you're in this battle of wits and yet somehow no one got taken out. I just thought it was... If, if you love the art and the skill and the beauty of yeah. proper driving, it was... Mm, that was it. it. Just, all you have to do is forget Max. Mm. I, yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was a really compelling race. Um, Lewis was so clumsy coming across on Oscar like that, having done exactly what you said around Curva Grande. But I was so glad that he pulled off that move on Albon, um, just because... He got that millimeter perfect yeah. move into the first chicane, and it, it and it just meant that I could walk away from that Grand Prix thinking, not thinking, crikey, has Lewis lost it um, because he got that one just Lewis, right. I don't think Lewis, Lewis hasn't lost it at all. I mean, you know, actually, I think, and I haven't looked at this. My sense is that actually he is, in terms of results and generally speaking, he is ahead of Russell this season. Mm. Um, a long way. Whereas last year, um, in my view, he was, and I actually did crunch all the numbers for that uh, over the course of the season. He, and to me, he was, you know, at best on a par, probably slightly behind. So I can't imagine George is getting any worse. Um, so I think Lewis is still absolutely up there. But, you know, maybe what he's doing is digging into reserves he didn't have to dig into in the past. And maybe that's why, you know, it's not much, is it? But there is, we have seen the odd mistake and the odd penalty creeping in, which would never have happened a few years ago. But then also that comes back to the fact, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, he's in the middle of the pack. Um, he's having to try as hard as he can. And, you know, that's when stuff happens. Um, we've managed to do more than 15 minutes on F1. We were only going to do a couple. But before we move on, yeah. um, why were the Ferraris so quick? Okay, so I, I never saw um, Science managing to keep Max behind for the whole Grand Prix. I just didn't think it was going to happen. No, I agree. But they out, he outqualified him. Yep. So what's going on there? Well, um, I was listening to Martin Brundle on commentary. I think it was Martin. Um, yeah, and he yeah, said was, that yeah. they brought a... You know, I know Martin was coming. I just remember whether it was Martin who actually said uh, this particular thing. Um, that they brought, basically they had brought Monza cars 
whereas everybody else kind of adapted what they had and just put the you know the the low downforce wings on that ferrari basically ferrari threw the kitchen sink at that race um for entirely understandable reasons and also you know monza is a very very different track to almost anywhere else that they race on it's the lowest downforce track um on the surface um you know interesting things like you know one of the massive advantages we know the red bull has is its extraordinary uh, ability to deploy drs yeah well the less downforce you have the less drs you get and we saw that didn't we all the time you know even max was really struggling to get past science and then poor old Checo was you know he was you know they get a lot it was enough to get you alongside which in my view is what DRS should do it shouldn't just allow you a free pass um so I you know I think that there were a number of reasons but okay so the question is does this signal a turnaround of Ferrari's fortunes are they going to have an amazing are they going to be best of the rest of the rest of the season I doubt it I I think it's Monza I think it meant more to them they tried harder there um and the circuit was i would not necessarily saying it was particularly suited to the ferrari but i think it was probably quite unsuited to the red bull yeah it's it's a pity for ferrari that their home race is such an anomalous track you can you can configure your car for for that circuit but it's not going to work anywhere else (laughs) exactly and and there is a pressure for them to do so because it's their home grand prix so it's it's kind of unfortunate for them but no i i tend to agree with you i don't think we're going to see them um up there for the right up there i mean for the remainder of the season it's just weird what's going on at um aston martin isn't it Did you see alonso was um he qualified ninth or tenth didn't he i think tenth and then just okay so it sort of came to life towards the end of the race but no pace in that car so maybe it's uh too draggy or something or that, that aston martin doesn't suit a very low downfall setup but last time out he was really racy yeah, um, I mean they were the, they, 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 they were the second best team at the start of the season, weren't they? Yeah, um, you put them yeah. what fourth now behind Ferrari and Mercedes. Mm. Well, certainly after this weekend, yeah, yeah, McLaren up there as well. Yeah, fifth maybe. Yeah, good point. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, all right, well, let's leave F1 chat there. Um, and we're going to move on to the Munich Motor Show. I can't remember the last time we spoke about a motor show. It feels like it's sort of the first big one of the year. I just uh, there's a reason. Really there's the... a reason for that. I think is it it, because it is. Well, there, yeah. I, I think there, there would have there would have been a Chinese one, um, which we which we, 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 those cars tend to be full of um, sort of concepts and things, stuff like that. So yeah, 
Um, so Munich Motor Show, I mean, there were some fairly interesting reveals, some um, striking-looking concepts as well. The BMW Vision Neuer class concept, yeah, new class. That's really um, interesting. If you haven't Good, seen isn't it, it, go and have a look. Because I mean, in the context of all that everybody has been saying about BMW design over the last few years, this is BMW's, and they're clearly very serious about it, this is a whole new design language for bmw and can i just say thank goodness for that yeah 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 so it's clearly a sort of evolution of that vision was it vision d wasn't it um but they have this this new sort of aesthetic this new style that they're clearly working towards and we're going to see variations of this in production soon i'm sure but it's it's so welcome as you say some of bmw's recent stuff has been just baffling um but there is a clear coherent um sort of style going on here you feel I think it like looks really working towards a new identity yeah, yeah. i think it looks really clean and really yeah. interesting um it's good design isn't yeah, it yeah it's good design, it's I, good could, design. I, could, I could see bits of e30 in there and it's actually it's interesting because i think the first car that we're going to see built to this new um, design language will be the next three series i mean that's going to be eagerly anticipated isn't it i mean that's and that's only a couple of years away um that will be then we'll know then we'll know and maybe bmw will finally have acknowledged that you know this you know this radical um challenging iconoclastic design that they've had for the last few years um hasn't done them all the favors in the world yeah um yeah it's an interesting looking car that that new bmw let's see um another one i want to talk about is the cupra dark rebel <laughs> Do you struggle to take a car with that looking that name seriously? <laughs> it's so try hard, isn't it? It's sake. so, so try hard. It's just look Again, at me. Please look at me. <laughs> it's another concept, um, but it's a, a proper two door sports car yeah. GT thing. Yeah, I remember years ago when, not years ago, a few years ago when Cupra was um, being sort of reimagined as a standalone mark. And I went to Barcelona to go and uh, talk to the MD um, about what Cupra stood for. And he told me, he looked me in the eye and he said, Cupra is said, I don't know. born from, from racing. We are a racing mark and we build sporting cars. And I was like, great, so you're going to build a sports car at some point. Um, and he sort of dodged the question. And then I just watched over the years. Their first car was the Cupra Ateca, big SUV. And then the, just followed, them, followed that up with variations on the performance SUV theme. And I just thought, I, 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 think you've, I think this is totally cynical. I just do not understand how you can claim this is a racing mark and then just build SUV after SUV. I get it. They sell. People buy them. Yeah. But come on. Where's the credibility? Um, and this is the first sort of bespoke sporting car that they've hinted at. Yeah. It is a concept. And but they, they've gone and called I don't it know, I don't... Dark Rebel. Dark Rebel. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you think I could pull that off? Andrew, Andrew Dark, Dark Rebel, Rebel Frankel. <laughs> no, no, I don't. No, 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 no nor me. Uh, but it does, it, does it, 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 it is, um, it, it certainly is visually interesting. Um, yeah, it's quite exciting. And, and if anything were to come of it, it would be great. But have they said they're going mm. to build it or anything like it? No. No. They haven't said it. It's a concept. But please, Cooper, build something that driving enthusiasts... Build something interesting. Might, 
get excited about. Even, even if you don't sell many of them, it'll build your brand for you. People will give you, it'll give you credibility. The Halo thing has worked for decades. Give it a go. But the ne- their next car is going to be the Cupra Tavascan, which is don't um, tell me. related to the Volkswagen ID2. Oh, so, okay. There you go. Right. That's not the one that we're going to get worked up about, is it? No. Um, there is an ID but, we should be getting worked out of that show, though, isn't there? Yeah, I'm doing this in alphabetical order, so that comes at the end. Oh, okay. Um, but for now, Mercedes-Benz CLA concept. Again, a bit like the BMW. It's an electric um, four-door saloon concept thing. Um, maybe it's not a saloon, but you know what I mean. And there's a very clear design language to it. You know, there's a clear identity um so great i mean just go and build something that actually looks like it please mercedes and maybe people will buy them in their droves it's an interesting striking looking car yeah but let, let's not let's get these things into showrooms onto the road rather than just the motor show stands yeah. um i mean when people i'm not talking about mercedes really but you know if a if a car manufacturer goes to a big motor show and really, all they've got to show that's new is a new concept car. My inner cynic always says the same thing. Mm. Haven't yeah. got anything else. Can't allow all the rivals to steal all the oxygen. Got to have something. Mm. Let's do a concept. Mm. Now, I'm yeah, not saying... Just to all, get some column inches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that that is the case um, with Mercedes or with BMW. Maybe these things will go into production. I'm sure the BMW will. Um, looking very like that, that very soon. I really, really hope so. Um, because, yeah, otherwise, you know, we know that why they're there. New Mini Cooper, um, Looks the good. Cooper Electric, Cooper S, yeah, yeah, yeah. all electric. It's a, clearly an evolution of the the Mini design as we've come to know it since what was it two no ninety nine wasn't it? Yeah, ninety nine. Um, it looks the same, but, but it, it looks good, and it's a what, and it's um, yeah, it's all electric. You won't be able to buy a um, a combustion Mini anymore. Yeah, it, so a Mini means, Cooper certainly. Yeah, so that means the the Cooper S E, which is the new Cooper S. We'll have 215 horsepower, not 16, 6.7 apparently, um, 54 kilowatt hour battery, 250 miles of range. Uh, so that that's an interesting one. I'm looking forward to having a go in that and seeing if, because minis are always, you know, these BMW era minis have been fun to drive. Yeah. Fun little cars. And, and even the, um, I, I had an electric mini in quite recently, um, only because I'd never driven one. And they said, do you want to? I went, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed driving it and I really enjoyed driving it. I'm afraid for one reason, one reason, it's had a, t- it's got a tiny battery in it, so it doesn't weigh anything. So you can you can go hooning around on the thing, and if you don't mind having to charge it every ten minutes, it's great. <laughs> right, last one then, the yes. one that you hinted at a while ago. Yeah, Volkswagen ID GTI. Um, so they're calling it a concept, but this is based on the ID two, so smaller than the ID three, little hatchback. It's not that little though, is it? Um, but it's the new GTI. This is the future of Volkswagen's GTI um, model line. Yeah. Looks good, I think. I thought it looked good. Yeah. Striking looking thing. I mean, it is a concept, so it's going to look yeah, but, but a bit un- more dramatic un- than a road Unlike car. some other concepts, I think this one really will happen, um, albeit in two, three years' time. But, I mean, goodness me. I mean, what could be more important for Volkswagen credibility other than to get that right? Mm. It's an ID, which is which Volkswagen's entire future is built upon, and it's their most, you know, uh, vaunted, fated, coveted nameplate they've attached to it. It's got to be right. Yeah, it can't just be, you know, potent. It can't just have a load of power and feel brisk. 
it needs to be genuinely it's be fun a to bloody drive. driver's car yeah it has yeah and it can't have a massive battery as you suggested with the mini because it's just going to weigh too much if it does mm. um they need to make that thing really fun to drive can it you, needs to have character can you imagine oh, the, the arguments that must go on at the moment between marketing people and engineers and engineers going no 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 you can't have a battery that side because it'll be terrible to drive and marketing people well yeah fine i take your point but unless it does have a battery that side we're not going to be able to sell it and if you're the ceo having to arbitrate here yeah it's tough isn't it it's really, really tough. We always talk about the, the arguments used to go on between engineers and designers, but I think they're going on between engineers and, and, and marketing people now. And of course, you know, there's no, there's no right answer. No. Of course, yeah, I mean, we clearly lean towards make it a fun driver's car, don't we? Because of we're course. enthusiasts, yeah. but we're not responsible for But if, but if people look at that and go, production numbers well, and well, it's only got a practical range of 180 miles, people aren't going to buy it. Well, you know, the best car in the world, you know, very clever. But if people, if it doesn't sell, it's, um, it's failed fairly fundamentally, hasn't it? So, yes, don't it doesn't matter if we give it 10 out of 10. No? Yeah. Tough one. Um, good. Well, that's Munich Motor Show. So, uh, there are some interesting... They're all electric, aren't they? All the cars we've spoken about there, I think. Um, but some interesting stuff on its way. So, bring it on. Right. Faster states. That's what we're, we're really talking states. with. Yeah, well, yeah, we're two thirds of the way through this episode and we're only just getting onto the main topic. Yeah. Um, but faster states. Now, we want to talk about these because you've got one in at the moment. Yeah, I've got I a saw, really fast one in at the moment. I saw on your, uh, on your Instagram that you're really quite impressed with the Audi RS6 performance. Yeah, only because I just wasn't expecting to be. Um, so, people so, always... so what, but what, it, what is the performance? Because the RS6 has been around for good couple of years now a few years yeah a few years um, so the performance, what's the performance is, it's, it's, it's got bigger turbos um it's got, oh, it's so got more power it's got yeah funnily enough i think it's 640 horsepower um that'll do and it's got yeah your know, high level of specification and 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 so on and so forth uh and i ha- i know that you know there are lots of people who absolutely adore these things um you know rs6s and that sort of thing i've just i've just always been a bit lukewarm about them um, some of them like more than others, but they've never, to me, had the the chassis to go with the performance that they provide. Yeah. And I always just find that frustrating. Mm. This one does. It's Is it? yeah, and this hasn't even got there because there's an option. You can option in coils instead of air and carbons instead of um, steel discs. Um, and it hasn't even got that option on it. But what I mean, obviously, it's going to be ridiculously fast. Um, but it is just so beautifully resolved. I just really, really—I mean, I've been up to the—I've been up in the mountains with it, and it's, it's never going to be, you know, an agile car. I think it weighs two point one tons. But it is so—I think deft is the word. It rides really nicely. You know, who'd have thought? Um, it's balanced. It's. Clearly, it's been developed by people who understand what a fine driving car is and that it's not all just about more and more power. It's a one, apart from the hideous fuel consumption, it does like, a, if you're just driving it normally, um, without being an idiot, it does about 23 to the gallon. If you try as hard as you possibly can, you might see 30. But if you drive it at all, you know, in the manner to which it's designed to be driven, it's kind of like, you know, 16, 17. That aside... I just sat here thinking, I just love this. I would just absolutely love because it's 
it's, it's all about the chassis. I mean, it's called performance at 640 horsepower, so that goes and grabs all the headlines. It's actually not what the car's about at all. It's the fact that it has been refined to a point where suddenly and finally and at last, its chassis is as good as the powertrain that goes with it. And I that's the first time in one of those sorts of cars. I'm not talking about R8s or something like that, but I've known that happen in, in an Audi. So bravo. And I just really, really hope it is, you know, a change of philosophy and a, a sign of the direction in which Audi is going to continue to go with those cars. Yeah, let's hope so. <sighs> Engineers these days, at the likes of Audi, clearly, and certainly BMW M, they're getting so good at making heavy cars both ride and handle well. Yeah, they're they're getting so damn good at it. It used to be that we would look at a spec sheet and go, "Well, it's two point one tons. It's just not going to be fun to drive." Yeah. But they're starting to really get a handle on the weight of these cars. It's, it's, it's a, different, it's a it different sort of... And I'd never say for... You know, I'd never say, oh, you know, it feels like it's a 1,500 kilo car. Because it doesn't. It feels like a 2.1 tonne car. Um, but... And, and it's not a hoot to drive. You're not, you know, sliding it around. It's not, you know, like a K-trim. It's a different sort of fun. It's a kind of like a... It's an inner smile. It's a deep satisfaction. It's rather than a belly laugh. Um and you know you just really admire what they've done with it and the way that they've controlled its mass so well you're never not aware of that mass but you're also very aware of the fact that it's you know it's not getting in the way like you would expect it to Um, yeah that it's that frustration factor yeah it's gone you're not yeah you're no longer thinking goodness me this thing's big and heavy and corpulent and floaty and wallowy exactly because it isn't any of those things yeah. Yeah. All right. Best fast estates then. Yeah. Um, first of all, just sort of more broadly, why do we like these cars? It, it, it is the sort work. of duality, the breadth of ability. They isn't work. It? But I wonder how often do people actually use the estate part of a performance estate? I mean, some do. Clearly, I, dogs I, in the back. I think but lots do. I do. Yeah, because I don't think that people. I don't think they're. I don't think they're particularly image cars, something like an RS6 might be, but I think, you know, a lot of the cars that, you know, that we've really enjoyed as, as estate cars, you know, the BMW M340i Touring that I've got parked outside here at the moment, you know, I don't think that people buy that as a Touring rather than a saloon because they think, oh, that's going to make me look cool. I think they buy it as a Touring because they need a bit of extra space or they might like the idea of having a bit of extra space or they can imagine you know some kind of use scenario where it's going to be handy um yeah so i i think the, and, and, and i guess that's another thing i like about them is that i think they do get used um for the purpose for which they were designed um yeah they work that's why i love them that, that that yeah you're right actually that is a good point they do work and you do use them for the purpose for which they are designed whereas other plenty of other types of car they're designed for this particular purpose and you never go anywhere near that exactly that, area of capability yeah. you know off-roaders um all sorts of other cars and so you're actually using them for the thing that they're not primarily designed for and so they're frustrating whereas yeah maybe these that doesn't apply to um so audi have been producing cars like this for a very long time i i liked the previous i like the current rs6 i haven't tried the performance i like the previous rs6 but only to a point exactly where it's it's a nice thing to be in they they can be surprisingly comfy they are quick they look good um but you're never going to get up early and go for a spirited drive in it 
Um, but it sounds like this new performance maybe puts that right a little bit. Yeah, the only other sort of fast Audi estate that I would say has made me feel that warm about it is the last, I can't remember what the code name is, but the, the last of the V8 RS4 estates. So they, they did the B7, which was had the manual gearbox, option of a manual gearbox, yeah. and then the B8 had um, was uh, paddle shift only. And I, I liked the B7. The B8, I was a little bit cool on. Maybe it's the B7 um, I'm thinking about. Yeah, the B7 was that one with the big wide arches. Yeah, exactly. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, was a, that was a great car. And I drove one a few years ago. Um, Audi have got one on their, their heritage fleet. Uh, and that, it is a lovely car. But it is, I think maybe because the engine's so sweet, it's got a nice manual transmission. Um, the chassis is pretty good. Yeah, but, but but it's not it's not it's it's all right, isn't it? It's to but, a point, but it's yeah. nothing like as good as the engine. Um, what about the Jaguars? Because there have been um, the Jaguar XFR and the XFRS. Uh, you can have a what do they call it? Sport brake or sport back or something. Um, but they they've got that mega powerful, super responsive that supercharged V eight that JLR have used for years in all sorts of vehicles. Um, do you like those things? They, they've I do, always I, been I, I, sort of massively traction limited, haven't they? Whenever you put your foot down in those things, yeah. they just no. I've got I've got a picture of myself in a in, in one of them. And there's just you know, you, <laughs> because they didn't have diffs in them, did they? So there was just yeah, um, you know, so more you smoke one. Yeah, exactly. Um, I did. Uh, I, I I like the way they looked. I think they. I, I think well, surprise, surprise, Ian Callum was doing the styling. Um, I, I think that they looked um, terrific. But to me, if I was going to go in an estate like get, get an estate like that, I'd just get an E class. You know. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. the thing. You know, because the E class was it was such a great estate. It had so much more space in its boot. People forget this about this. You know, Audis and BMWs fine, but if you actually want a car that would carry stuff. Um, among the premium German brands, you needed an E-Class. And that, oh, I can't remember what the W, whatever it was, the one with the, with the nutty 6.2 mm. AMG in it. Um, yeah. That was yeah. fabulous. That is a great car. That yeah. is a fantastic car. So if car, I was going to get that kind of car, I'd just get the Benz. That's what you'd have. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I remember doing the launch um, in Portimao. And actually, they launched the saloon first, so we, we drove that one rather than the estate but it's the same car underneath um and i just three of us just howling nose to tail around portimao howling around in the e63 um it was just a fantastic car yeah and i i think that was one of the first big heavy cars that i drove that i thought blimey they've figured this out they've Mm. got this sussed yeah this really is spectacular um so that's that is a great car but let's rewind let's scroll it back a little bit some of the older stuff Oh, um, there's only I'm one. I'm going to have to lean on you for these. Oh, well, on, there's only one. There's only one old estate car that's worth having. And funnily enough, it's actually not that great to drive. <laughs> Citroen DS19 Safari. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I'm not sure anyone saw that coming. <laughs> Go and, I mean, just... I was Where was I? I was somewhere not that long ago. And Harris turned up in a DS19 Safari. And we, really? and we all went pile, we all piled into it and we all toddled off to the pub hooting with laughter uh, I think Tuthill had it um, I can't remember why, why, Chris, why Chris was in it but anyway he, he just in his own inimitable way just turned up in something completely unexpected and I just loved it because it, it, it was 
it's a beautiful car but again it just it just knows what it thought it was so comfortable it was so spacious it was in its own way in its own rather sort of slow plodding roly wallowy kind of way it was a delight to drive um and yeah <laughs> that's what i mean you probably weren't thinking about going quite you probably weren't thinking no. about going back to the 1950s you, you, were, I wasn't. you were thinking about sort of volvo t5rs and that sort of thing yeah exactly early 90s or something <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so okay well, well let's do that too um <sighs> well okay but you've said volvo t5r people yeah. love those yeah partly because twr took them racing and yeah even now those photographs um of those um volvo estate cars british touring cars racing look extraordinary yeah um, but were the road cars actually good? Uh, I, I, I have to be honest here, they, they, they just weren't. Yeah, they, they just weren't. I mean, they, they, they've got this wonderful reputation. I never liked them when they were new. And again, okay, mine, I suspect mine is a minority view. Um, but what just bugged the hell out of me, um, you know, they came with those incredibly low-profile p0 yeah. tires and they just didn't ride yeah it's just not good enough, it? it was incompetent they just crashed and banged along and they took so much of the enjoyment out of driving i knew that you know and and if there was if if the, the result of that was that they handled unbelievably well well you know you could make a case for it but they didn't they handled they, they were right but they were still you know front drive volvos with massively nose heavy five-cylinder engines parked under their bonnets um and no i mean they looked fantastic and they sounded great and people went racing in them so they were fantastic image builders and i completely get why they are sort of slightly cultish cars today um they also you know given this is a volvo they weren't very good estate cars there wasn't much room in the back of me you know we think you know when i started doing this business was back in the day of you know 740 and then 940 volvos these were things that you could you know put your house in the back of mm. well then the 850 mm. came along and you know they decided they took an act and, and and commercially it was completely the right decision to make um that volvos would stop being tanks and they'd start being stylish and they would become and i think this is probably all peter horbury's doing um and they were great to look at and it transformed volvo's image and you know had it not done that then you know i think the whole future of volvo's of volvo would have been very different and nothing like as good but you know the question was was the t5r a great car to drive absolutely not really nice engine and a great looking car but that was it crystal clear crystal clear um are there any others that spring to mind i I found one for you one more and you're gonna have to be honest with me and tell you whether you knew this car even exists okay go on this is, this is your ultimate car this is the dan prosser car to end all dan prosser cars what on earth are you talking about evo <laughs> nine estate ah yes yes so the nine uh yeah i i definitely knew that they um did an estate so the seven eight nine were evolutions of one another weren't they um but yeah i yeah i knew that car existed was it i mean it, that's was just it? your car isn't it <laughs> I mean, they made well, them. Now, in, they, yeah. they made them in tiny quantities. I don't know, I'm not even sure whether any came over here. Um, but yeah, there were there was an Evo Nine wagon. Um, I never drove one. Don't even know whether it was space. Not not sure it was any good or not. But I just saw that, and I just, I just thought of you. <laughs> <laughs> so we 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 are buying an estate car at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, it's not an Evo Nine. It's not. But maybe I need to suggest it to my other half and just say I've had an idea. I've had an idea. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Bear with me. E sixty one M five, perhaps. Oh God, I wish. No, sadly, this has to be the sensible family car, so it's not going to be that exciting. My, um, my brother's got a Golf R estate, and he absolutely swears by it. Yeah, I did wonder about your that. generation. Is, your generation of Golf, so seven point yeah. five R estate. Yeah, cracking car. It was on my list because it's longer in the. Um, is it longer in the wheelbase? So it's, does, it has more rear seat space, I think, than a than a hatch, which is actually what's important to us at the moment. Yeah. Um, because we've got baby seats and they take up a lot of room. But um, no, I mean, it's actually going to be my partner's car. So sadly, well, she will be paying for it and she gets to decide what it is. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be a three series, uh, which I'd be very happy with, actually. 320D estate. Something 320i, like I think. Yeah. Yeah, 320i. Facelift one. So um, brilliant. Like the one you've got at the moment. Yeah. So just, but just tell us briefly about your M340i because it does go soon, doesn't it? I mean, you. Yeah, are I'm not going to bang on about it because it. We, it's got, as you know, it's got one more specific job to do, um, which we'll be talking about, I guess, in a few weeks' time. Yeah, it goes in a, it goes in a month, um, which I shall be very upset about. It's, uh, I mean, for me, it's it's close to the perfect daily. Um, in fact, yeah, I think probably in retrospect, the only thing I'd change about it is I'd turn the I into a D. Um, because what's the I buying you? A bit more performance? Well, frankly, I'd rather not have the fuel bills and would, and, I, and, I, and I'd prefer to have the range. Um, other than that, it's, it's just, it just works. It's one of those Turk cars which, <sighs> It's just not bad at anything. It's a really annoying car because it's really quite hard to <laughs> criticise. And even something yeah. like an M3 Touring is a much easier car to criticise. Um, and I've never sat there thinking, oh, God, I wish it had another 100 horsepower uh, or it went round a corner even quicker than it does. Uh, to me, in terms of, you know, what, what I want a car to do in terms of driving dynamics, uh, it's more than good enough. Um, it's got more than enough room in it to... Yeah, it's, it's, it's just the perfect all-rounder. Um, I said, think I've said before, and probably on this podcast, certainly in print, that I think it's the best BMW on sale at the moment. Um, I think it's one of the best BMWs of recent years. Um, I, I think it is absolutely outstanding. I really do. Uh, yeah, and before it goes, we are putting it to the test, aren't we? Let's not give it away, but we are, we've devised a test for that car to see exactly how good it is. Um, and there will be a story coming to the Intercooler app and website in the next few weeks. Um, well, unless you want to give us any other estates, we'll move on. Well, can I, can I just float the... I think it's probably a really bad idea. But just float... The, okay, the ultimate sort of stealth estate. Passat W8. Yeah. Yes. There is something about that. Yeah. There really is. Yeah. When you hear one go by, which doesn't happen very often, you just think, <laughs> what was that? Not very How often many are because there? There are, they only sold 246 Passat with W8 engines, of which not very many were um, estates. Um, they actually did, there are 20, they sold 20 manual Passat estates in the UK. How many of those Blimey. do you think survive? Ugh. 20 well, manual there is W8. A website, isn't there? Is there? Yeah, how many left? I don't know if it'll tell you about manuals, but. Um... Oh, can, oh, yeah, it'll tell you how many Passat W8s are around. Yeah. I mean, it might even tell you how many Passat W8 estates are left. I'm going, mm. not many. Not many. Uh, it wasn't a great <laughs> car. I just, the, the idea just abuses me. Uh-huh. That's a shame. Um, so I, I've written a piece about estate cars, but very intentionally not performance estate cars. Um, 
so that'll be that'll be going live fairly soon. I grew up with estate cars in my family as a kid. We had a series of fairly nasty. Ratty, Go on, what were they? Um, so my dad had an Austin Montego. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, what terrible engine? car. Oh God knows. God, no, I was a young kid, a okay. tiny kid when we had it. But it had the the seats in the back. Oh, hang on, so I loved we've it. forgotten one. Go on. Oh, oh I, what the, the Montego ZTT. GTI? No, the ZTT. The MG oh, yeah. ZTT estate with the Mustang, yeah. 260 horsepower Mustang. How could we have forgotten that? Rear wheel drive. Rear wheel drive. Did, did they do a, a, a Rover 75 estate version as well? Because oh, you could get the V8 in the 75. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there was a Rover but 75 V8. Was there a Rover 75 V8 estate? I should know that. I should mm, yeah, absolutely. I I'm, know. A, I'm appalled I don't know that. There was definitely a ZT estate because they called it the ZTT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool car. Yeah. Ridiculous so we, car. My dad never had a ZTT, obviously. He did have a... I don't. I can't work out if it would have been a Mark III or a Mark IV Escort estate. <sighs> Orange. Oh. Dreadful car. Yeah. Had it very briefly, I think. Yeah. Because it probably died. Yeah. Um, and then uh, later on, he up- upgraded to a Honda Accord Aero Deck. Oh, not bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's an old, tired car by the time he got it. Yeah. It cost him a couple of grand. But yeah. that was a nice car. Yeah. Leather seats and electric yeah. whatevers. And yeah, it wasn't terrible like the previous cars um so i we had this whole string of f- proper functional very sort of uninteresting estate cars growing up um and so i've always had a bit of a soft spot for them because you know for what you were, what you were saying earlier you you use them you put them to the use for which they were designed you sling all sorts of stuff in the back um and the reason i'm writing this now is partly because we've we are buying one for ourselves so it's sort of front of mind for me at the moment but the estate car i don't know how long it's going to live for really you know we there are some new ones coming we think the big german manufacturers will keep producing them but the mondeo estate is gone because the mondeo is gone the insignia estate is gone because the insignia is gone um volvo as we know they've they announced last month they're not going to sell estate cars or for saloons for that matter in the uk anymore um and well, I explore the reasons why in the story, but the estate car is potentially a dying breed. Oh, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a thing called a coelacanth. You may not know a coelacanth. what? A coelacanth. It's, it is an ancient... What is it? Is it a reptile? I don't know what it was. Anyway, it was presumed to be extinct for <laughs> 35 million years until someone found one. Really? Yeah. Where'd they find it? Don't know. <laughs> but they found it and it's back okay so well, my, so another great frankel prediction um and I, I hope still to be alive when it comes true is that the estate is not finished it may be down but it's not out because ultimately surely the world is going to have to revert to what works and that's the thing estates do work because they're not high and they're not heavy and they're not profligate um and they do the job ultimately you know it, it comes down to fitness of purpose it comes down to product and they're just it's just a really bloody good concept and i know that you know all the market pressures and you know we're not going to get into the whole suv debate again here now but you know i understand why things are the way they are at the moment but you know i don't see them staying that way forever and when it changes the estate the the, the trusty honest noble estate car will rise again 
phoenix-like <laughs> from the ashes. And I hope I'm around to see it. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Right. <clears throat> Let's just end this uh, this week's episode with a listener question. And this is a good old-fashioned which car should I buy kind of question. Okay. Um, and he even gives us a handful of cars to choose from. Goodness for that. Uh, these are so difficult because you, you don't know what a person's sort of priorities or preferences are in a car. Yeah. So all we can do is just say, I like that one, have that one. Usually, when people ask me, I would say almost invariably, actually, when people ask me what car they should buy, what they actually mean is, I've already decided what car I'm going to buy, <laughs> and I want you to tell me I'm right. Yeah. Yes. Yes? Yes. Well, I hope Hans Vigan, good name, you haven't already decided. Um, maybe you have. But, uh, I, I, yeah, I hate when people ask me which car I should buy, because I, I find it so hard to know which of the options they come up with or I come up with they're going to enjoy most it's a guessing game but anyway um, Hans lives in Norway Um, he's just sold his GI Yaris after two years and is looking for something fun Um, he says four-wheel drive for snow and ice would be nice but it's not a must-have yeah it's funny enough Um, up up, up there if you go up there you'd be amazed at how many cars don't have four-wheel drive yeah, because you see, you have winter tires, yes, winter don't you? tires, winter and they spimble about with front-wheel drive cars and winter tires, and they're absolutely fine. Anyway, sorry, move and on. You're fine. So, a couple of nine elevens, nine nine one one four S, okay, nine nine one two two S. Well, that's not very difficult to yeah. decide. That's not a difficult decision <laughs> to make. Je- uh, so, first Cayman GT four. <laughs> Yeah, okay. In Norway. Yeah. Jaguar F-Type R, all-wheel drive. Mm. M2 Comp or CS, or an R8. He says a V8 manual is impossible to find. I mean, as you say, it just depends on, on, on what he wants it for. If it's a, if, if it's to use a lot, um, it's the Gen 2 Carrera 2S. If it's more recreational, it's the GT4. Um if you know you're talking about completely different sums of money too aren't you um you know i love an m2 comp i really do um i don't know it's one of those (laughs) i quite like the idea of an f-type r all-wheel drive on winters in norway that's quite sort of iconoclastic you're not going to bump into another one no that's Um, true (laughs) that's true um yeah yeah um i'd just if, if I had that, I think I, I think I'd be I'd be pleased with myself for having decided to do it. And once I'd done it, I'd just think, why didn't I just get a nine eleven? Yeah. So there you go, Hans. We haven't really given you much of an answer there, but maybe it's something to think about. Um, but anyway, thank you for your question. Remember to keep sending your your questions across, um, and we'll carry on ending the podcast by answering them. Thank you for listening. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.